0: All right, good morning, everybody. We'll be in 1 Kings chapters 4 and 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Kings 4 and 5, a couple announcements. Uh, potluck next month, February 2nd, after second service, join us for that. And then I have a note here that we need to lift up the titans in prayer today. They for... <laughs> have to write down sports jokes for me, because that's how far away sports is for me. But... So thank you for writing that down, that was good. <laughs> Apparently that's an important game going on today or something. I don't know. What's going on? (laughs) All right. Solomon asked for wisdom and he got it, but he got it along with everything else. And uh, it does build upon itself. Um, I'm not sure how God brought all the other things in Solomon's life after he asked God for wisdom to run the country, Um, but wisdom can produce in your life. Godly wisdom produces. Um, there's a blessing attached to being obedient to God. And I'm not just talking about monetary. I mean, there is that sometimes. It can happen. You can be blessed um, with physical things. But there is, a, there is something that money can't buy when you're in obedience to God and living a life that way. Um, there is peace in your heart, which you can't get any other way. Um, you can't experience what this world has to offer as a child of God in disobedience. You have to be in that place of obedience. Um, And that's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that from the Proverbs. And and, uh, so we're going to read about this man, this king, right after David, David's son, Solomon, who is now establishing his, well, it's being documented anyway. It's already happened, but they're writing us down for us. Here's his cabinet. Here's who's in charge. Here's uh, the next thing, I mean, this, this guy has just a wonderful monarchy. I mean, and it comes from his humility to God. He does have problems later on. Um, but for the most part, he has a, an entire reign of peace and prosperity, um, built upon for sure his dad and his dad's obedience to God. And, um, it's interesting how God moves. There's lots of typologies in the Old Testament. We see, we've seen several times Christ showing up in the Old Testament, ministering. We've been going over that on Wednesdays as well with Abraham and Jesus showing up and speaking with him and so on. Um, but this is more of a type. Um, what we read about Solomon's uh, reign is what it's like to be in the kingdom age with Christ as he rules and reigns. This is the abundance, um, the peace that's there, um, and uh, the joy. So, verse 1, so King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials, and I am not going to go through all the names. I'm sorry, I just don't want to do it this morning. Some of the officials that he puts in his cabinet were in charge of, they were scribes, they were recorders, they were in charge of the army, officers, priests over his household, and the labor force, and that takes us through verse 6. And all those men are named as to who it was that he put in the position. You've got to pray about these things. Who's the best for this job? Who's the best for that job? And he does. And these are the folks that God picks for him. Jesus prayed uh, for the disciples who he should speak and who who he should bring close. He had different tiers different groups, different levels. There were the masses, there were the thousands that would follow Jesus around. There were the disciples that were in the hundreds. And then we've got the closer disciples that were 70. But then you've got the close intimate group of 12. And then finally, when he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, you've got the three that would go with him. There's just different levels. These guys are in charge of many, many people doing many, many things, scribes, recorders, the army, officers, priests, household, and labor force. And they get closer and closer and closer. And the kingdom of God is exactly the same way, to be honest with you. It's not clicks. I hear that a lot in churches. Oh, that's just a click, or that's just a group, or that's just a, not really. For the most part, we're a bunch of people that probably never meet on the street. Maybe not hang out all the time. Some of us would, some of us would have been friends outside of Jesus Christ. But for the most part, it's Christ that brings us together this morning brings us into this one room where we're all going to hear God's word, agree with God's word, try to obey God's word, apply it to our lives and live it. But we can be as close to God as we want to. Every one of us can be. It's completely dependent upon us how close we are. Are we the masses? Are we the hundreds? Are we the 70? Are we the 12? Are we the three? It all depends on how close we want to be, how we walk with our Lord, how we obey him, how, how much of a king in our lives is he? How obedient are we to his word? Are we casual Christians? Are we carnal Christians? Put Jesus in our back pocket as fire insurance? I mean, I just don't want to go to hell. Or do we walk closer and closer in obedience because we actually fall in love with him, madly in love with him, to the place where we think about him constantly. We read his love letter to us all the time. His, his words are familiar to us and mean so much to us. These guys in Solomon's cabinet are the close ones, the folks that he prayed about and brings in tight people he can watch and trust with big responsibilities, huge responsibilities because he can't do this by himself or chooses not to do it by himself. Christ could of course do whatever he wants to do anytime he wants to do. But he said something to the disciples. If I don't go away, because they were all worried about Jesus going away. If I don't go away, I cannot send the helper and if, If I send the helper, it's going to be much better. Greater works than these, he says. After I leave, greater works than these are you going to see. And why? Because it multiplied. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church. And the church now goes out and it's the hands and feet of Christ instead of one location where paralytic has to be brought by four of his friends and dropped through a roof just to get to the one guy that can do something about it. Now he's filled the church with the Holy Spirit And they can do the same thing. They can begin to minister just like Christ did. We have those opportunities in our lives. Whether we follow through or not is up to us. Verse 7, then Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. And he's going to name all these guys as well and their territories that they're from. And I'm not going to do that to you. I tried. I read through them. And I butchered their names in study time. So I'm pretty sure I'd do it again in front of you. So the point is what I just read. They each took turns, the whole nation. Now, this isn't one of those things like we see over in England, you know, the big thing with Harry and and, and Meghan and everything leaving the, uh, they're leaving the royal, pre- you know the, not priesthood, the royal family or whatever. And they're going to live in Canada until Trump's not president. Then they're going to move to LA or something like that. and Whatever, you know. Those guys are leeches. I mean, that's a whole different ball game there. The royal family's just, I mean, no offense. I mean, I'm sure they're great people. They were born into it. There's not much you can do about it. But for the most part, you're a leech. You don't do anything. You just take, you suck from the people around you. And then they, uh, they fawn over you and, and throw flowers at you and, and, and all. And, and you take it and say you're welcome for some reason, you know. This is different. This establishing of the authority of Solomon isn't about him. It's not about his dictatorship or anything or how how his life is going to be augmented by everybody else's labors. This is about people taking care of basically the government, the overseeing of the nation of Israel, uh, taking care of the salary for all those guys that are taking their time away from what they could be doing to make money. But now they've been put in charge of their scribes, their recorders, they're in charge of the army, the officers, the priests, the household, the labor force to keep things moving, streets built, all this. This is basically, well, tax, but it's not. And so there are 12 groups, and each one would provide for one month, and that's not so bad, but boy, was there a lot of stuff they had to bring to take care of the army, to take care of the defense of the nation, to build streets and walls and take care of all the household and all the all the administration portions of running a country. And here's what they do. In verse 20 we start reading this wonderful list of things Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute Served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day, and so he's going to go through a list for one day, was 30 cores of fine flour, which is 150 bushels of fine flour. 60 cores of meal, or 300 bushels of meal. 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, which is a little deer, and fatted fowl as opposed to the skinny fowl. I don't know what that means exactly. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from um, Tifsa even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river. And he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and fig tree. That's a phrase they would use. They were hoping to come into the promised land and everybody have their own vine and their own fig tree. In other words, you could make your way there was a promise of a pursuit of happiness and, and all. From Dan, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And that's a, what a great memorial to your life, to your authority over a kingdom, um, that there was peace on every side. Everybody had what they needed, so much so that they could easily provide one month for the nation. You know, the defense and all that. And it didn't affect them. It says in one point later on, we're going to go through this. uh, Some of the stories repeat in the Old Testament, but at one point it says that uh, King Solomon made silver as common as stones. That's how wealthy the nation was. It was an amazing time of prosperity through obedience to God. Through obedience to God. Now, because of this, he's thinking about the temple again. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to the King, King Solomon's table. Now, that isn't like his one long table. It's like all of his household. I mean, there's a lot of tables, basically. So whoever he had to provide for, they would bring what was necessary. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. I didn't get my notes out. Let me get them out really quick. And this is a prophecy about Jesus' rule and reign in the thousand-year reign of Christ. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's a promise of when Christ rules and reigns at one point. We try to do that now. We try to make Christ rule and reign and have this beautiful thing now, and, and we quote these things. If we just take all of our weapons and and pound them into pruning hooks, and, and and no, that's not how it works. You can't. They're doing that because they don't need the weapons anymore. It's not the other way around. You don't take away the, the weapons first so that you can bring peace. There is so much peace we have no need, is the idea behind that. When Christ rules and reigns, that's what it'll look like. Solomon's time of leadership here is like that. It's a type. It's what it's going to look like when we're with Christ, when he's ruling and reigning over the earth. it be a wonderful time. Chapter 10, we'll get into more detail about the horses and chariots, but that's a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of horses. 40,000 stalls of horses for a chariot. That's over the whole nation, but still, that's a lot. And God gave Solomon wisdom. Verse 29, an exceedingly great understanding and largeness of hearts like the sand on the seashore. Um, you can't have one without the other, I don't believe. It's one thing to have wisdom. It's another thing to have heart. But if you have both, what a blessing it is. It's the heart that moves you to, to enact that wisdom. You could be the smartest guy in the world and know, or gal in the world and know how to do this or the other thing. But if you don't have a compassionate heart or a desire to help other people out with that wisdom, it's just going to be stuck in your head congratulations, you're smart. you know. But with Solomon's large heart, he was able to apply his wisdom and everybody benefited from it. Everybody was a beneficiary of his wisdom, of his obedience to God, of his desire to please the Lord. And, and it's the same for Christians. The more we obey God, the more we're a blessing, the more we look to be a blessing, the more we let God touch our hearts, the, the more people are blessed around us. There's just a there's a ripple effect. And I'm not saying one act of kindness spreads to other acts of kindness. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> That's world's wisdom. But as you act accordingly and follow the Lord and worship God in spirit and truth, those closest to you will be blessed for sure. And as they're blessed and they see the blessing upon your life, they begin to follow the Lord also. And it spreads that way. It doesn't do any good to be an unbeliever and be blessed by someone who is a believer. You want that believing to spread is the idea, and as Solomon serves the Lord, people are blessed all the way around him. Thus, Solomon's wisdom excelled all the wisdom, or excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Apparently, those were the smartest guys in the room at the time, and Solomon was smarter, for he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezra, Ezraite, and. Uh, Haman and uh, that guy, Chalak, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. Apparently those guys are really famous, famous, smart guys. And, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. We only have 1,500 of them about, or no, about 1,000 of them actually. And his songs were 1,005. Um, it just It pours out of him, you know. It's not something you have to do. You don't have to write those things down. Um, but he did, and people read them, and they were blessed. And we have some of the proverbs that he wrote, um, but there were apparently two thousand more than what we have, and they were—they're a blessing. Uh, proverbs is a great devotional book. If you didn't know that, if you're ever wondering how to study the Bible or what I should do, what what should I do? You know, well, what's today's date? Today, what is nineteenth today? Eighteenth, seventeenth, yeah, whatever. Read Proverbs, whatever that date. And just go through it. Every month you'll go through the Proverbs and then read something else along with that. And it's just a blessing to, to gain that wisdom for the day. You'll be surprised how God will use that too. Hey, I just read that this morning. That was in Proverbs 7, and it's the seventh. And here comes a situation where it's a good thing I read that because now I know you know, how to get through this. He wrote those for other people. He wrote lots of songs for other people for that would praise the Lord, that would bring God Glory. There's a lot going on when we're singing songs to God. You know, I think sometimes in in, in childhood we watch Sesame Street and we see the ball bouncing across the bottom with the words, and there's something fun about row, row, row your boat. and There's something fun about twinkle, twinkle, little star. But these are different. The sing-along that we do here is not not that. It's not the bouncing ball across the words, and let's see if we can all hit a note, you know, kind of thing. Some of you can't. But... um, I'm one of them. I'm just kidding. It's about it's about singing to the Creator. It's about getting our hearts prepared for His Word that's going to be shared. You know, it's about thinking about Him and seeing Him on the throne, or just whether you can picture Him or not. You probably can't. We've never seen Him, but raising up your hands to Him and saying, "I surrender this morning to You, my heart, my soul, everything I have." I remember all the things. That's what you, usually what the songs are about. I remember all the things you've done, or the songs about, I I know about all the things you're going to do, and I'm looking forward to those things. We begin to sing about him and to him for his greatness and his majesty and his perfection and his love and his grace and his mercy. And then when he shares his word, we've all been softened a little bit. The soil of our hearts, after we've sung, have have all been plowed up a little bit to receive his word a little bit easier, because some of it's pretty harsh sometimes for us. Sometimes we get a rude awakening when we run across a scripture that goes contrary to what we thought was okay. Now this is sin. Oh. But if you've been singing those songs beforehand, you're, you, you talk about how wonderful he is and how wonderful he's been to us, how wonderful he's going to be towards us. When we read something from him, we don't take it as a painful moment. We take it as wisdom. Now, you're thinking wrong about that. You need to think the other way on this. It's not... It's not okay. It's not loving. It's not a beautiful thing that you think it is. It's, it's sin. It's actually causing you harm and those around you harm. And I want to change that. Well, you are who you are. We just know that. We sang that. Then your word must be applied. We've got to do it then because it's just going to make this world better, make my life better, and bring you glory in the process. Not only did he write songs and write Proverbs, and his fame went out from all places everybody knew about him. He was that smart. Also, he spoke of trees, from cedar uh, trees of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that spring out of the wall. He spoke also of animals. So he's a botanist, and he's uh, fluent in animal husbandry, apparently, of animals, birds, creeping things, and of fish. His wisdom just went and, and kept going, you know. I think about George Washington Carver and, you know, his his love of God. He prays a prayer. Just just let me know everything I can know about a peanut, you know. And man, did he write some stuff about peanuts. I mean, to the point of like, I just want the gif, you know, peanut. That's as much as I care about when it comes to peanuts. But man, there was so much to gain just from one aspect of God's creation. And Solomon apparently knew all these aspects. He could describe, explain, because people have questions. This wasn't just for an ego boost. This wasn't just for a plaque or or to be the smartest guy in the room. It was so that, and, and this is where responsibility comes in. As God gave him wisdom, as God gave him fame, that's so that people can come and get it from you. All of a sudden he became a library. The people would come and visit and say, I've got this burning question and I can't get an answer from where I, I mean, they would travel miles and miles and miles to come hear him. Not just a, not like a crowd or an audience in a, in a show on a stage, but to ask him the burning question that they have to have the answer to. And he would give them that answer and they would go away with just a little bit more peace in their life because that one mystery had been resolved. And as Christians, we have great wisdom. It's foolishness to the world to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. The cross is foolishness, but it's wise to those who are being saved by it. And there's a burning question that everybody in this world has. What is going to happen when I die? And as a Christian, you have the answer to that. Can people come to you? Can they talk to you? I mean, I'm sure they can. Be ready, and please understand, that is the right answer. Some of Solomon's answers were a little rough. Take that baby, and I'm going to get a sword, and I'm going to cut it in half. Remember that last week? What? That's a little rough, but boy, it brought the answer, didn't it? He says, well, there's the real mom over there. Give the live baby to the real mom. We don't have to do anything. and Get this crazy woman out of here. It doesn't say that, but that's what happened next. She's probably tried for murder or who knows what. We've got answers. The world needs it. We need to be ready. Just having the answer, just knowing the scripture, having another Bible study, another Sunday, another Wednesday, please understand as you get the wisdom from God's word, you're a library now, and you need to be open for business. And people need to be able to come into your life and ask you questions about these things. And we need to be able to give a reason for the hope which lies within us. It's very important. Solomon has that. 34, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They would get there just to find out. Now, chapter 5, we'll go quickly. This is about the temple. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he had heard um, that they had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, So there's a relationship with this king and David, and he wants to hear about his son. What's this kid like? And you know what? More often than not, back then, they were disappointed. You know, the apple did fall far from the tree a lot of times, but in this case, I think he's going to be pleasantly surprised, and he says so. So, He comes to visit them, and and he sends back, Solomon sends back, and this is his letter. You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet? But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There's neither um, adversary nor evil occurrence. For those of you who get into Scripture and have been and have been studying for a long time, this is an excellent commentary. The Bible interprets itself. We don't have to have our own interpretation. People can't tell you, well, that's your interpretation. The Bible interprets itself. How many times have I taught or heard that David couldn't build a temple because he was a man of blood? Like he had done something wrong. Well, no, you're a man of blood, David. David. And we get this in our mind from, and I had this in my mind until I've, I've studied this scripture, until God's word clear, clarifies it for me. You get in this mind that David can't because he's just this man of blood and men of blood. They just can't build houses of God. They can't do that. We need someone who's filling the gap, more qualified, better qualified, not so tainted as what you would think. But Solomon, the wisest man in the world, his own son qualifies it and clarifies it for us. He says, my dad couldn't build it because he was a different tool in God's tool bag. He was a man of war. We had something to do first. We had to flatten the ground. We had to get the place ready and prepared. Now that we have peace and God has given him rest on every side and all the evil occurrences have ended, now I can build that temple that my my dad, through God, prepared the place for. It changes a lot in my life. A lot of times we think, well, God can't use me because of this, that, or the other thing in my past. Maybe I can't do this because, you know, even David couldn't build the house of God because he was a man of blood. No. It's just a different time period, a different use, a different reason for him to be um, on the throne. I mean, Solomon, I need you to govern a peaceful nation. That takes a whole different skill set. David, I need you to handle 300 ruffians, you know, some marauders, some crazy guys. And we read about those guys, these warriors. But you just, I mean, you were glad they were on your side, basically, because they were a rough bunch. And David was the right man for that job too. Solomon, on the other hand, is born into a kingdom of peace or at least taken over in a kingdom of peace. And now he's able to do what his dad always wanted to do. Generations. It takes generations sometimes to plow up the soil. I mean, you think, remember all the rock walls around the farmlands where they, all those rocks, you know, those rocks came from the center of the field. Somebody had to walk in and clear out the countryside so that we could begin to farm some land to cut down all those trees, to dig up every single root ball. And some of you know how hard those are, you know, without heavy equipment, Jeff, Kim, you know, (laughs) to get rid of those things. Then to get rid of the rocks as you come across them and begin to stack them on the edges of the field until pretty soon you got a wall four or five feet tall all the way around. That's a lot of There needs to be a lot of appreciation for that for the next generation that comes in to farm that ground and say, you know, this is, I don't know, I'm going to use a 24 row, you know, 24 rows. We were lucky to get one in between all these roots, you know, and all these rocks that would pop up and I'd have to stop and whoa and pull this thing and drag it off to the edge. And some of them were so big, I had to unhick the plow and hook it up to the horse. Guys, spiritually speaking, some of you are in that place in your families. Some of you were generation after generation of maybe unbelievers in your life. And you picked up that mantle and said, I'm going to follow God. Well, you got a lot of rocks to carry. There's a lot of undoing, maybe. A lot of root balls, deep roots of bitterness, of sarcasm, of all sorts of things that you've got to root out of your life so that you don't pass that on to the next generation. So that next generation can grow up and say, you know, I, my childhood wasn't that bad. There's a lot of work that went into that not-so-bad childhood. And then the next group comes in, and they're flying with the 24-row, you know, kind of thing. We moved from one to maybe four, and now we got these guys cruising through with 24, you know. And the great-grandpas aren't looking at you. Well, hopefully they're not going, well, you know, back in my day. They ought to be looking and saying, you know what? That's what we were hoping for. That's what we were hoping for. And as I look at my kids and I look at my grandkids and hopefully as I look at my great-grandkids and they're just flying along with Jesus Christ, having a deep, more intimate, personal walk with him. And that's what I was hoping for. David plows up the soil of the nation of Israel. Abraham had to walk the land just to get it surveyed. Moses and those guys had to wander around. There's David. Uh, Joshua had to do all those battles. I mean, think of all that had to happen to get to this place right here. Beautiful. And Solomon appreciates it. I think that's key. Solomon isn't spoiled. Solomon's blessed from men and women before him that took the time to plow up the soil and prepare it for him. And as long as you have a heart of appreciation for it, you're not spoiled. You're not taking advantage. You shouldn't be anyway. Just look back and think of all those people. I look back at some of those old 1900 photos that they have, 1910, 1920, 1930, all the way through. And you look at some of those folks, that they were high on the hog. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that place should be Condemned. You're looking at a house that's like this big and there's like 27 kids lined up outside and they all need a new change of clothes and some shoes for goodness sakes. But they were the richest people in the county, you know, each holding their pot of, you know, whatever they had last night and they had to go outside and dump it, you know, because there's no indoor plumbing, no running water and all that. And I'm looking at this, I have a great appreciation for my tap, you know, our water, the algae—it's blooming in Mazingo. We can't go near Mazingo. You could walk back then and carry it in a couple five-gallon buckets back home because you've got your water. But now we've got this tastes and it kind of smells funny. Well, you could go to the high V and pick from twenty-seven different brands of bottled water if you wanted to. Peanut butter—I think we've got thirteen brands of peanut butter. I mean. Let's just be thankful and appreciate, you know? And behold, verse five, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. As the Lord spoke to my father, David, saying, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon and my servants, will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. What a smart guy. What a gracious guy. What a generous guy. He doesn't say, I'm the smartest guy in the world. I got the most money. Now, what kind of deal are you going to cut me on these, on these logs? I need some logs. I mean, I can go someplace else. I just thought I'd bless you with my business kind of thing. This is wisdom right here. My dad and you you guys were friends. I'd like to buy your logs. I don't expect you to do it by yourself. I'm going to send up a labor force to help you with it because I know I'm asking for a lot. And 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 by the way, whatever you charge is fine. I mean, he wrote them a blank check. Whatever you feel like is fine. Generosity is wisdom. It is wisdom. He's very generous. It's about people. It's not about how much I have. It's not about... The wealth—it's not the accumulation or the amassing of it. It's how it's used and what it's used for. It's a tool, and he knows right away. Man, whatever those logs cost, it ain't enough. Man, they're like gold up there. You got some beautiful logs, you know. I mean, they're the best. They're the best. And I'm gonna come help you. You, (laughs) some of you got it. uh, They're the best logs, man. Whatever you want. For you know there is none among us who has skill to cut. And you guys are the only ones that can cut it. You're the best cutters, too. You're amazing. I've never been a cutter like you. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over his great people. This is great. Then Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered this message, or the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and the cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from the Le- from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me, and we'll have them broken apart there, and you can take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. That's the payment. That's all I need. I just need to, you know, provide for these guys. And then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire, And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave Hiram year by year. I mean, it took a long time to get all this. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men, That's who he's sending up there to help cut and transport all this lumber down. 30,000 people. That's a lot of money. But it's so important. Remember what this is for. This is just for the temple. I don't think we understand how amazing this temple was. As we go through this. Solomon's heart was, I want to honor God. I really want to honor God. And so he takes all the people of Israel, 30,000 of these guys, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and uh, 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Besides the three thousand three hundred from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people, who labored in the work, and the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, and uh, the Gebelites, Gebelites quarried them, and they prepared timber and stone to build the temple. And they're like, so what? It's a big building, you know, <clears throat> big real estate project, big contract. or whatever. This is so much. Spiritually speaking, we're going to see in verse 7 of next week, we won't get into it this morning, But he describes how they would quarry these stones and prefab everything off site. And then it would come into the place where we would build the temple and they would place them and they'd fit perfectly. There was no hammer or chisel sound on the building site. We're going to discover next week. That's a spiritual picture of us as God is building his church. He's building himself a holy temple to inhabit filled with his Holy Spirit. And each one of us is being quarried. Each one of us is being hewn. Some of you got some some different stories from this week, from your life. Seasons you're going through or just got through going through, and you're wondering what in the world was that all about? Well, there was some chipping being done. It was changing to your shape, size, mass. Some of you got a load lightened, you know. But you're meant for one purpose. You've got a specific spot in God's church that he wants to place you in. And all the chipping and the hammering that's going on in your life right now, please know there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. It's to prepare you, to get you ready. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you keep these things in our hearts, that your word would be planted deep, deep, deep into our hearts. It would have deep roots and bear much fruit. Lord, your word says those who receive your word with gladness are blessed, and we do this morning. You You're always looking out for our best. We appreciate Solomon's heart. We appreciate his wisdom. We appreciate his prayer. The nation of Israel really appreciates his prayer to ask for wisdom. Appreciate David who went before him to make war and to make sure the place was ready for this temple, that the nation of Israel would be established in this land. Thank you for Joshua that went before David and conquered different areas, making some mistakes along the way, but still for the most part, clearing it out for Moses, for Abraham, the surveyor. Appreciate all these guys. Lord, help us to appreciate our role, to to be thankful for those in our past parents that have plowed up the soil that brought us a little closer to the Lord. Lord, help us to take that next step, not to ride, not to coast, off of their work, Lord, but to continue to labor as hard as they did so that the next generation can be even closer to you than we were. Lord, we love you and thank you for using us. In Jesus' name, amen.